0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary, the podcast about tending the soul of women, sisterhood, and the rise of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Arlia Hall. hello everyone welcome back um, I'm excited to have um, well the second of what what I would consider um, many more podcasts about eating and um, your body's wellness you know the the uh, being attuned to your body and eating and and how all that impacts your life and your your soul and what it even means to be mindful of how you eat. And joining me today is Shelly Chapman. I don't even remember how we connected with each other. It might have, might have just been one of those lovely random Instagram things. <laughs> but um she immediately caught my attention because she is a mindful nutrition coach. And I love what she says and the work she puts out and you will have to go check out her YouTube channel because there's so much there. I wish I was that that you know, had that much content on YouTube, maybe someday. Shelley Chapman EDM is a mindful nutrition coach, weight loss motivator and a wellness workshop facilitator. Before stepping into those roles, she spent 10 years overweight as a compulsive overeater and emotional eater. She starved, binged and mistreated her body for years. In her commitment to change, she learned about food, nutrition, dietary lifestyles and began her emotional healing. As a result, she went from a size 12 to a size two in one year. She now teaches at the Mindful Nutrition School and travels throughout the country, teaching workshops on how to shift from emotional and stress eating to mindful eating and how to integrate healthy behaviors into busy modern lifestyles. She has worked with a variety of companies and institutions, including Food Network, National Institute of Mental Health, Teach for America, New York University, and Emory University. And as I mentioned, she also produces health-focused web series and cooking videos for her YouTube channel, The Mindful Plate. Shella Chapman, welcome to the Women's Sanctuary.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah, I love uh, the sanctuary, being uh, in such a sacred space.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, I... It's it's my passion to to create the space where women can come and share their stories and um, learn from each other and be hopefully be inspired by each other.
1: Yeah, for so sure.
0: To that end, um, you know your bio gives us a little bit about your your journey. Tell us how this how tell us more about that and how you came to you know, your journey into the mindful nutrition coaching.
1: Ah, Yeah, so that journey started when I was 16. Well, actually, probably before then. (laughs) We'll say it started when I came out the womb. I I do believe that for a lot of us, we are often imprinted with our purpose. And we oftentimes spend our life trying to find it. Um, I knew pretty early that I love food. Like I loved it. (laughs) And when I was 16, uh, my relationship with food changed from being something that I really loved to being something that I was battling with. I was uh, personally struggling with my parents' divorce, and I didn't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the emotional tools to understand that um, this happens at times. And sometimes people, you know, they break up, they divorce, family split, but it doesn't mean anything about you or make anything, um, you know, less about their love for you. But I didn't have those tools to understand it. So because I felt so much pain around my parents' divorce, I ate it, and Mm. um, it became a secret at first. Like I'd come home after school and I'd eat brown sugar pop tarts, um, Cheetos, the crunchy kind. Make us all
0: hungry now. (laughs) I know
1: Oreo cookies. Those are my things. Those are the things that gave me hugs after school when I was really feeling bad. And then that evolved into a um, compulsive overeating. relationship of food, as well as an emotional eating relationship with food. And I continued that through college and through my early adulthood in my twenties. When I was in college, I did seek help and I was in therapy and I was in a group with, with young women who were suffering from eating disorders. And in that group, I was the only black woman. And I was also the only woman who was dealing with compulsive overeating. So I recognized that while we shared something in common, we also didn't. Mm -hmm. And I was really curious about like, what was happening with me? Why was this happening? And, you know, like, how could I get the help, help that I needed? Mm -hmm. And so um, through that, one of the things I learned in that group was to attach my emotions to what I ate to realize that I was eating out of an emotional need. And so I got really conscious about that. But again, that wasn't the end of the story for me. And so I continued through my tw- my twenties and then into my thirties. Um, I experienced another traumatic event, which was my father's death. Mm. My father passed away, and I was thirty-two at the time. And excuse me, thirty-one. And I remember at that moment, I wanted to go emotionally eat, and I heard this voice in my head say, "Shelly, there's no amount of food that's going to bring your father back again." Mm. And I remember in that moment, it just sunk in that the hole that I was trying to feel would never be filled by hole, and I would literally eat myself into a hole. And so I decided to stop eating my holes, H O L E S, and I decided to eat to become whole, W H O L E. And in that journey to become whole, I really got clear about um, what. I had been doing with my relationship with food, how I'd been using it and how that level of abuse was causing harm to me. And so um, I shifted and I went from emotional eating and I started mindful eating to started being more mindful about when I was hungry versus when I wasn't, what I really wanted sometimes mm-hmm. I thought I wanted cake but what I really wanted was to cry or I just wanted a hug um, and so that was it's it's been a, a journey of, of years but through that journey I was really able to embrace wholeness not just with myself with my relationship with my father and his passing mm-hmm. um, my relationship with my parents divorce and that situation and also all the other relations and it became this powerful tool where I realized that you know um, our meal time is really, an opportunity every time we feed ourselves, it's an opportunity for us to renew ourselves and to center ourselves in our well-being.
0: Wow, yeah, that's really powerful. I I, I know for myself that you know the impact of of divorce and death in in my own journey, and that's when it's connected to food that's a that's a a really tangled web to untangle right to to peel apart the grief from the eating that's that's such powerful work yeah you said you, were, you you stopped from eating yourself in a hole i mean what did you what kind of tools did you use it was just was it simply i know for me i had been doing so much for so long until I hit a wall. Mm -hmm. What was that? Was that similar for you? You just hit a wall where it was that the moment when you heard that voice of no amount of food will bring him back.
1: It wasn't even a wall. It was just like, girl, you can go for all (laughs) the macaroni and cheese and cupcakes you want, but your father's not coming back. And it just hit me like, oh my God. (laughs) this is true. Everything yeah. in my life that I've ever had an upset, a frustration, an anger, a resentment, I've gone to eat. And it never occurred to me all those other times that the food was not going to make it feel better because mm-hmm. in the moment it did feel better. Mm-hmm. A bucket of chicken wings and fries made I it mean, feel better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I think because this situation was, it was death. Mm-hmm. It was my father. I was a daddy's girl that like he, I, I knew that that wasn't going to bring him back. Yeah. Like it was just something so concrete about that. Yeah. That was like, wait a minute. So like I said, um, there had probably been, but by the time my father passed away, there probably been about um, 16 or 18 years mm-hmm. uh, between the first time I started using emotional overeating and then, you know, approaching his death um, where I was like, wait a minute you have other tools. What have you learned? And the tools that I learned that when I did implement them, I didn't implement them all the time. It was sort of on again, off again. But when I did implement them, I realized they would work. And that was eat when you're hungry, Mm -hmm. stop when you're full. And so I started with those two things, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. And then I started incorporating more plant-based foods and raw foods into my diet because at the time there were a group of elders around me who did not look like elders at all because they had been eating raw foods and a vegan mm-hmm. diet for a very long time so they had preserved themselves like they were stuck at 40 but they might have been 60 type of deal and so there was something about that where i said well it seems like there's something about this plant based eating Raw foods-based eating is really giving life to people. I mean,
0: what a gift. What a gift to have those role models around go, oh, there's another way.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So when I incorporated more raw foods and plant-based into my life and coupled with those two rules eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. Because even when I wasn't eating plant-based and I followed eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, it worked. Because what that did is it immediately got me in check in the moment to see, am I eating because I'm hungry or am I eating because I'm frustrated? Am I eating because there's an emotion that I just want not to feel right now and I'm trying to numb myself. So I find that for anyone, like for anyone who is struggling with emotional eating particularly, following those two rules Will set you right.
0: Absolutely, and so you know, you talk about decolonizing your diet. I want to know what you mean by that. But you, you also were mentioning, you know, the fried chicken, the French fries, the the cake, the Oreos. You know, to me, that all speaks of the culture we're swimming in, the cultural, the the things we're taught would make us feel good, that taste good. We should be eating, you know what American doesn't like Oreos, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I know there are deeper layers to what you're sharing, but that's, that's a real, that's a real point of interest for me. Talk about, you know, beyond the incorporating more raw and, and plant-based nutrients, what does it mean to, to also decolonize the way you eat?
1: Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, so one of the things I started to get present to is I had a, for me in particular, I had a huge uh, addiction to sugar
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: love sweet things. And that was one of the things I normally would find I'd reach for when I was emotionally eating. Mm-hmm. It was usually cupcakes or hamburgers, like one of the extremes. So uh, I when I- yeah, <laughs> it's
0: cupcakes and pie for me. I
1: don't. Oh, for me it was cupcakes, brownies, cookies, like bakeries. I love and donuts, but the cake kind. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, I started researching um, white sugar and just like just sort of curious about it. Um, and one of the things I realized is that white sugar was something that obviously came from either the sugarcane or beets or corn, but in its origin, it was sugarcane. So Mm -hmm. if we're taking it back and I realized like, wait a minute, there's a whole entire industry um, in the 18, 17, 1600s where they were kidnapping Africans, Europeans are kidnapping Africans, bringing them overseas against their will to forcefully work sugar plantations in the Mm -hmm. Caribbean islands. and then they were feeding a sugar craze in Europe. And so and the rest of the world that where they were cultivating this taste for sugar. And I was thinking to myself, like, my God, that this this addictive substance has such a horrible origin. And so what started out is mm-hmm. like enslaving Africans in order to produce this, as well as indigenous people before they died off. Now the whole world is enslaved to this sugar. Yeah. So like it was like from slavery to slavery, like there's still slavery within the, within this. Sh- so my, I was just thinking about that concept and I was like, and now I'm hooked on it. And I, mm-hmm. I don't even, I don't want that history, nor do I want that, that addiction. And then I started realizing like literal bodies, enough bodies were sacrificed for this, mm-hmm. but now we're still sacrificing our bodies. But instead of sacrificing our bodies as forced labor, we're now sacrificing our livers. Willingly. We're And But not knowingly, always, because people aren't making the connection that what they're eating is is also creating diabetes, is now sacrificing their brains by creating dementia, sacrificing their limbs because of diabetes. And so there was just so much death and destruction around this very sweet thing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't so sweet after all. So then when I started looking at that, I was like, what's what is going on? And I started looking at colonization as a whole and this idea of going into lands and then raping and destroying the land, removing the caretakers of the lands, mm-hmm. i.e. the original people, and then using that land to dominate, as you will. So whether that's to plant a, a cash crop or build up your new city for the queen of whoever, England, mm-hmm. Spain, pick one. And so... Um, I started thinking about our food system and realizing how much of our food waste have been colonized. And so if you, and it's not just for black people or indigenous people, white people have been colonized as well. Like mm-hmm. different groups have colonized other groups. And so yeah. this isn't a racial thing. It's about dominance and supremacy. Exactly. Yeah. And so when I looked at that, I started thinking about, well, capitalism is sort of the, the daughter of, of colonization. Mm-hmm. And, and when we look at our food market, it really is about capitalism. It's about what can, what can we buy and sell that's going to make us money, not what can we offer that's going to be the best for human health. Yeah. And so one of the things that um, was very present for me, for example, I went to Panama to go live, for, we'll live and work for five weeks. And while I was there, there were so many trees and they were just fruitful. There were flowers, there were fruits. These are just trees out in the city. So anybody can eat. Mm-hmm. Here, we don't have trees. In the United States, we don't have trees that are fruit unless they're on a farm that someone controls that can be bought and, and, and paid for. But there's no fruit trees or flowering trees out because we have to capitalize everything. We have to make it a commodity. We have to sell it in order to make money. And so then it got me present to our grocery stores. And everything that's available has gone through a capitalist system. Which is a daughter of colonialism mm-hmm. to be able to sell, and we're selling so that we can make money, but we're not selling foods that people need for their health and well-being. So decolonizing one's diet is really about returning back to your ancestral food ways, whether your people come from Scotland or Nigeria, and looking at what did your people eat that fed their well-being? And then looking at how you can in your day-to-day diet, incorporate more of those foods Mm -hmm. or not just the foods, but the practices, the ways of eating. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, my people come from Benin and Togo, which is in West Africa. And in a lot of West African countries, there's a tradition of eating communally in a shared um, sort of setting. So not like individual plates, right? A shared setting with the hands. Mm-hmm. And there's something about eating with the hands versus utensils that causes you to eat just enough. There, there's, there's no overeating in that sense. And if you look at us as human beings, when we came into this earth, whether you were a baby from Japan, a baby from Poland, or a baby from uh, South Africa, you eat with your hands. hmm That's how humans start and your hands are literally the best utensil, the best portion control because you're only going to take what's enough. And when you eat in community, as they do in a lot of those in a lot of those countries, I just named Japan, Poland, uh, South Africa. When you're eating in community, you're now conscious about the other person. Mm -hmm. so You're not going to take more than enough. But here in the United States, because of capitalism, which is like selling to the individual, more is the more is more. And how much you're going can I to get? Over, how much yep. can I get? What's the value? What? What? It's a five ninety nine value meal, all you can eat buffet. So you're exactly. no longer conscious and thinking that you have to feed the well being of others. And so when I started decolonizing my diet, a lot of my overeating tendencies started to fall away as well because I shifted my mindset around my relationship to food and food's relationship to me.
0: Ooh, there's so much there. And, and, you know, some of these things, these, these things you've brought up, I've thought, and there's so much I hadn't even thought of. And I think that's, I, I just become more and more convinced that it's essential that we do that work to think deeply about where our food comes from, why it comes to us and what's being presented to us and what, what would we actually choose and what's actually, you know,
1: our, in our true nature yes, to be and exactly. do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I just feel and like I would add hard. Arlie, I would add one, one thing is that when we think about what our true nature is, our true nature is not to be suffering from eating disorders or disordered eating. Mm-hmm. And I define them differently. Eating disorders were like your DSM-4, anorexia, right. bulimia, et cetera. Disordered eating is what a lot of Americans suffer from, which is the overeating, <laughs> the overconsumption, uh, even emotional eating. And so if, if we were to really focus in on our true nature and looking again, looking at babies we will find that these are a lot of them are learned behaviors mm-hmm. and a lot of them come from these uh, values that are taught in the United States, such as individualism, but also the value of not enoughness. Capitalism, yes. capitalism teaches you that you are not enough, that you need something outside of yourself in order to feel better. And so for some people, that will be gambling and money. For some people, it'll be shopping and money. For some people, it'll be drugs, alcohol. But for those of us who are affected by food, the food is a not enoughness. It's like, you're right. I just, I just, I just need some ice cream to make me feel better because I, I just can't do it on my own.
0: Yeah. For me, it was, um, it's my security blanket Mm -hmm. between, um, having like blood sugar crashes as a kid to going gluten free. Then I suddenly had to take care of myself and always have food ready. And it, it was just like this overzealous preparedness to make sure I always had something to eat and so much anxiety, so much anxiety when we come into this awareness and we're able to really set apart the cultural stories and Mm -hmm. traumas and brainwashing around.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Way to put it. That's
0: it (laughs) really get some distance from that and go, wait a minute. I, I have other choices here. Then what, you know, you said we're it's we play devil's advocate here. It's not, it's not always as simple as, you know, when am I hungry? When am I full? It is also then finding the, Oh, you, you said this the other day on Instagram. I want to, I I will bring this up. You said it's not discipline. It's obedience.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's I I define discipline as loving self-regard so instead of a set of rules right mm-hmm. there's this i love mm-hmm. myself enough to do this mm-hmm. so how do we how do we make that shift from okay i i i see i see what's actually out there and and what i've been told i'm making a new decision how do i do that that's a hard process <laughs> and 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 mm-hmm. uh disconnecting from sugar, being, getting rid of that addiction. That's been very hard for me.
1: Yeah. Oh, you you can do it. You
0: could could slip back into it in a heartbeat. So Mm -hmm. those are two different questions, but let's talk about how it actually works.
1: Uh, well, I'll tell you this. Um, I'm going to push back in the challenge of it's hard. I've, I've heard this so many times. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Here's what I think is hard. I think it's hard waking up every day in a body that you don't love. I think it's hard waking up every day in a body who's experiencing dis-ease and ailments because you're eating foods that trigger that, Mm -hmm. whether that's your gluten allergy or your intolerance, your liver's intolerance to digesting Mm -hmm. all the sugar that you, the onslaught you gave it last night from your Mm -hmm. ice cream (laughs) (laughs) And, and brownie, like, you know, date. Um, I think it's hard to wake up every day and be disappointed with yourself because you knew you could have made a different decision and you didn't. That to me is hard. Absolutely. What I do understand is that the simple thing of eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full is something that you were innately given. It was your divine blessing when you were born as a human your body came prepared. Now, there might be some bodies that actually don't have that mechanism. I don't know. I'm not going to assume that every human body is able the same, but I do know that as a healthy functioning human body, that is part of the design. You get hungry, you eat, you're full, you stop. You see babies, you try to give them something they don't want, they what? They push Mm -hmm. it away, right? So it's natural for us. This is something that we Typically, it's a process that's been replaced by capitalism's lure of marketing, which is like, oh, this looks really good. Don't you want this? Come yeah. eat me. You know, you remember Alice in Wonderland? Eat me, eat me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're constantly being tempted. So that part is easy. It truly, truly is. The real challenge is shifting your mindset mm-hmm. and being able to stick to the plan. And this is where we talk about discipline and obedience. And so, as you mentioned, um, I mention a lot in my work that it isn't about discipline, it's about obedience. And I say this because, let's be clear, discipline and obedience are opposite sides of the same coin. They're both going to get you there. Personally, I found discipline. uh, I learned about discipline mostly through my masculine teacher's. My father, uh, other men in my life, etc., and they were very male-oriented around it. And it's like discipline, go to the gym, you got to do it. It's hard, so what? Stick to it, go through yeah. it, cry through it. Who cares? And it's like, but it hurts. I don't like gain. it. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't think this needs to be painful at all. And so there's something about pushing past the limit, ignoring what your body says. I don't love that approach. Mm-hmm. So I say obedience because it's about obeying your body's signals. Beautiful. What does your body tell you? Your body said it was full. Okay, we're going to stop eating. Your body said it was hungry. Okay, we're going to eat. And then your other question was, well, how do you know then what to eat? And this goes back to obedience. You can choose whatever. As long as you're following eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, you can eat whatever you want to eat. And people often think that when you go on to this wellness journey, or you're shifting your eating habits that you now have to eat a certain way. Mm -hmm. That's not true. You could, if you want to eat at McDonald's when you're hungry and stuff, when you're full, I personally don't recommend it. But if that's what you want to do, that's your business. However, here's what I ask you to do. And you got to be honest when you eat it, what does your body tell you? How does, your, how does it make your body full? This goes back to obedience because your body is not just sending you signals of hunger and signals of fullness. It's sending you signals of, this isn't digesting so well. Mm-hmm. This is actually making me itch. This is giving me a headache. This is making me bloated. This makes me want to go take a nap, right? I got the itis. So you have to listen, be obedient constantly. Through that obedience, you will learn what foods are for you and what foods are not for you. And so for me, that's what led me to a plant-based lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I'm plant-based, not vegan. There's a difference. Vegan is generally like you don't eat animals, nor their products, nor do you wear their products. And it's very much about the morality Mm -hmm. of eating animals. I don't have morality attached to food because I recognize that there are indigenous cultures who hunt for their tribe to feed, they're not scorching the earth. No, they're, <laughs> they're, they're integrity. <laughs> hello, their integrity with nature. It's an yep. understanding. I'm good with them. Yep. But for those who are just getting hamburgers from the cattle ranchers in you know the west of the United States, who are just killing cows for the sake of it, that that's yep. not cool for me, right? So this is not about morality for me. But I do know that when I when I've eaten beef. My body hasn't, it hasn't landed so well ever. It really le- never landed well with my body. But it was something because culturally, I grew up in the United States. You have what? Three square meals. There's meat at every meal. So there was uh, bacon for breakfast. There was turkey sandwich for lunch. There was spaghetti with meatballs for dinner. It was just part of it. Yep. But my body never loved it. So when I got obedient, when I got obedient and I got present, That's when it became clear to me what my dietary lifestyle should be. And I know that it's not just for me. I teach this at the Mindful School for Nutrition. Excuse me, the Mindful Nutrition School. I say it all the ways. (laughs) Um, um, And this is what I I know, right? It's a flexible name, as long as Mindful Nutrition and School are in there. Um, But this is what my students learn. And my students are generally folks who struggle with emotional eating, who are also struggling with their weight. And they're coming because it's like, they've tried everything. They've tried the Weight Watchers. They've even tried Noom. But what they found was what was missing was one that sort of mindset shift and that accountability piece of like, why am I eating the way that I do? And then how do I shift? And then how do I, how do I trust that the decisions I'm making are right? Because if you have spent a lifetime mistrusting your body or being mm-hmm. mad at it, for whatever reasons, either how it looks or how it doesn't digest food or the allergies that it has, then when it comes time to partner with your body, and it really is a partnership in order to get this dietary thing down, it has to be a partnership between you and your cells because your cells are what makes yourself. And if your cells are not happy, yourself will never be. And so getting in tandem with them and making sure that they're well-fed and that they're hydrated and oxygenized and get all the nutrients they need. It's going to require you to listen to them versus listening to the marketing, the capitalism, the colonialism, and all the other stuff.
0: All those other isms. Yeah. I, I love that because I, um I've been thinking lately about the people I know who say my body hates me or my body's fighting me or, you, you know, and, and like, it doesn't, it's the, first of all, it's not true. I mean, your, your body is doing the best it can to be in integrity and wholeness with yeah. whatever you're giving it.
1: <laughs> so yeah. I
0: love that. I love that obedience to me. I call that listening to the really getting in tune with the intelligence, the, the infinite intelligence of your body.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I too feel for, I've heard people say that and I, I feel for them because I get for them. It's very true. Like mm-hmm. that's how it feels living right. in your body. I understand it. I get and, and if you've never felt any other way, it's like, well, well, what do you mean? Um, but it does, it does, it does take a moment of surrender. And that's what obedience also is. Mm-hmm. Whereas discipline is like force energy. Mm-hmm. The obedience is surrender energy energy. And it's like, well, have you ever considered instead of fighting back against your body, because you feel like you're at a war maybe just surrendering to whatever this quote unquote battle feels like and listening. Have you ever asked your body, what does it need from you? Just that simple question. What what do you need from me? What do you want from me? Just to surrender. And the body will respond. It'll tell you. And it doesn't speak English, (laughs) (laughs) but it does speak body language, which you're very fluent in. You've just been ignoring it for many, many years because you may not have liked it or wanted to hear it, but the more you listen to it and then start to respond in favor, the body will, in turn, begin to acquiesce and um, harmonize itself, mm. so that there is an energetic balance and life force is flowing in a way that you would have never experienced before. Because now you're listening.
0: Yeah, I, I can I can definitely uh, attest to that. That's that's what's been true in my own process and for me it was i've been doing this for so many years and and it's still not i still don't feel right you know things still aren't working right so i i uh, worked with an intuitive who did a kinesiology you know that whole list of body sensitivities and it was just like it was just such a gift this launching pad of this is what my body wants this is what my body doesn't want and then i was able to really start listening you know with this basic piece of knowledge does that feel true in my body it's just you know that's i've so the the deeper i've gotten into that process the more i the the wider the gap between how i'm eating and how the culture at large eats how the standard american diet yeah plays out and um it's it's really remarkable how different it becomes when you actually start listening.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you realize that it's a market. It's literally just, it's their products. It's mm-hmm. not food necessarily. It's just products marketed towards your consumption. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So tell me more about the school. What do, How does that, how, what do people learn and what do they do in the school to really cultivate this relationship with their body?
1: Yeah. So the Mindful Nutrition School, um, <clears throat> it's a monthly membership. And so you come in just like if you have a gym membership or a Weight Watchers membership, but different. <laughs> we learn differently, but the same concept. And so in there, we learn uh, the framework, which I teach, which is the detox. And what I find is that people really do need to detox mm-hmm. their thoughts, their mindset, their feelings, all the emotions in order to lose weight. So much of the physical weight that uh, the folks that I'm working with are carrying is less to do with what they're eating and more to do with what they have not digested in their lives.
0: Mm.
1: And so past situations, uh, the way that they think about themselves, et cetera. So detox is an acronym. So in D, uh, we focus on decolonizing and dealing with our emotions. And then on that E part, we focus on embodying ourselves because so many of the people I work with, again, we're talking about have been distant from their bodies for whatever reason. Um, don't even own full-length mirrors. Don't even want to look at their bodies. It's like, listen, mm-hmm. if you're going to do this work, you're going to have to get all the way and good with your body. Like you need hey, your body for this to work.
0: That's a piece <laughs> of work right there. Look at yourself, your 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 naked self in the mirror. Yes,
1: but it's one. It's literally one of the most life changing works. It's 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 the thing that I did that helped me go from a size twelve to a size two in one year. I didn't exercise, but Mm. I did the embodiment work. And that's what I teach. And that's what helped me. Um, Because so many people have lost weight before. I tell everybody like, weight loss is not your issue. You know how to do it. You can cut back on your carbs and, you know, cut back on your calories, whatever. That's not what I recommend. But but you can do that. You will lose weight. But what happens is the whole time while you're losing weight, you're hating yourself while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So when you finally get down to the number, sure, you lost pounds, but you didn't lose any weight. Mm-hmm. And so, because you didn't lose true weight, you end up gaining it back again because the person who you were losing the weight, you never cultivated the type of woman who would appreciate the efforts yeah. that she put in when she got there. Yeah,
0: you're still the old person. You haven't exactly
1: You haven't really changed, just lost pounds, not weight. So, this helps us lose the weight when we do the embodiment part. And then the T of detox is the teachings and the trainings. And this is where. You literally begin to teach yourself new eating habits. You train yourself in these new methodologies, right? And then the O is the obedience part. This is where we really hone in. So we've done our D, our decolonizing, our dealing with our emotions. We've done our E, our embodiment, our T, our teachings and trainings. Now the O is where we get to be obedient with all of this because we still, you know, just because we're working through the acronym doesn't mean we drop off each one. We're just building on them Mm -hmm. as we go along. And then the X is transformation is change. And ultimately, once you do the D, the E, the T, the O, you're going to transform. You're going to change. And so that's what the School for Mindful Nutrition teaches. And um, we also, of course, like offer a community where if you have questions, if you need to work through real time, some of the stuff that's going on, you know, we come together and we have weekly weigh-ins, which, you know, if you're at a traditional weight loss program, the weekly weigh-in is getting on the scale. Okay. Did the number go down? We don't need all the pressure. Because what's going to happen is your numbers are going to go down, but your numbers are only a reflection of you reducing the weight in your mind and Mm -hmm. reducing the weight in your heart.
0: Beautiful. And let's talk about your YouTube channel. There's so much there.
1: Yes. So the mindful plate, I started the mindful plate because one of the things you mentioned earlier, which is about the sugar, right? Um, And just talking about like how that's been a, a real challenge. What I found so helpful for me was substitutes. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not about not having anything sweet at all. I'm just not about white sugar. White sugar, get it out. Yeah. I don't want it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of maple syrup and honey.
1: Yes, maple syrup, honey, maple sugar. For baking, because sometimes with the baking, you need that that powdered, mm-hmm. not the liquid, um, coconut sugar. Yep. So when I started the YouTube channel, The Mindful Plate, it was because I wanted to offer substitutes for people. It's like, listen, you may not want to go through the entire transformation program with the detox. You might just want to get in your kitchen and start saying, how can I swap out eggs? How can mm-hmm. I swap out beef? How can I swap out sugar? So on my channel, I have a host of recipes to swap out, and I've actually... For those folks who's like, girl, I don't have time to watch a bunch of videos. Is there a cookbook? There is. So I took all of the recipes that are on that channel and I put them into a downloadable cookbook that you can get. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> no worries. I'm,
0: I'm and sitting then, over here trying to watch one of the to watch videos. The video. I was like, that like-
1: sounds like one of my videos. <laughs> and then it's just, <laughs> so so it's just an opportunity to put into practice into your kitchen. And then also to show you how to make practical everyday meals. Like what do you have in your pantry? What can you make? And then in addition to that, I do offer some videos that aren't food focused, but a more eating habit focus. And so that's where we talk about mindful eating. Uh, we talk about some of the work that we, that I teach in the detox and the mindful nutrition school. I, I do videos on those as well.
0: So, yeah. I I love your work. This is fantastic because I feel Thank like, you. It, it combines the emotional and the mental work with the physical and, and then getting everything in alignment so that you are so in tune with your body that, and then o- o- obedient to it, that hopefully that transformation is in the end, very easy.
1: Absolutely. And I, I when you talk about alignment, <clears throat> I definitely uh, want to harp on that because Um, I'll, I'll send a before picture so you can see what I look like before, but no one ever believes my age and I'm very proud. I'm 41 years young. And at this age, what I find most powerful is that when I look at the habits that I've cultivated through following a detox and being obedient, it's allowed me to preserve Mm
0: -hmm. myself
1: in this way. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I think is really important because again, it's not about Looking a certain way, as much as it is about, I think as you, as you pick up years in life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: people think that the old, the more years you have, that that means that you're now going to break down, you're going to lose your functionality, like you're going to get weak. And I, I, I'm a living testament that no, 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 no.
0: <laughs> Me too. That was the story I wanted to break real fast. Was because yeah. I saw, I saw things beginning to happen to my body and I was like, no, I don't buy this story. There's got to be, this story does not have to be real. I can uh-uh. ship this.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I think like, not only that, but one of the things in the, in the Western culture, there's, there's less respect or less reverence for elders. They often want to lock them up into a retirement home or, you know, a home for the old folks, whatever. They don't want to hire them anymore as if like, why would you not want to hire all this experience and brilliance, but whatever, I digress. And so all that being said is that, um, this lifestyle of being able, because this isn't, I'm teaching weight loss and eating habits, but this isn't a skill that you just use there. Once you have the skill, you can use it for anything because your body is constantly guiding you and giving you wisdom and knowledge for any part of your journey. And so once you have it, you can use it for everything. But I just I just want you to know, and when I say you, I'm talking to the listener. <laughs> I want you to know that, you know, no matter how many years you've acquired on this earth, you, the the idea that you become decrepit and like lose part of your ability to function is a is a narrative, and it's a narrative that is well justified by a medical industry that wants to serve you pills and medicines to keep you alive. But I can t- I can attest to you as someone who doesn't take medicine at all, I can attest to you that um, your alignment with your mind and your heart and your body by being obedient, listening in and taking a pause when you need to going to bed early, if you need to, those are the things that preserve you.
0: Absolutely. You were kind of gesturing over your head as you were talking. And I was thinking that's, that's one of the the first things I found when I gave up sugar was I could think it's like, I woke up, my brain worked better and I could think clearly. And I know if I've had sugar, because that or or potatoes or eggs as that mm-hmm. kind of cloud comes back down over my brain. Yep. So and, and those are just the things that I I don't eat. But um, when you get in that alignment, mm-hmm. it's it's like you gain superpowers.
1: Absolutely. You know? Yes. And I'm and, so glad you said that <clears throat> because
0: it's we're all, we all have them, mm-hmm. but most everybody has they've been du- dulled. And yes. By, by the diets, by the diets and the <laughs> culture. And yep. suddenly when, when all that's gone, you're like, Ooh, I, I, I feel like a, I do feel like like a supernatural powers now mm-hmm. because
1: the metabolism is different. The brain is different. The skin is different.
0: Yeah. The yeah. drive
1: is different. The energy is different. The sex drive is different. Like it's, it's a whole new game changer. I, I just I'm so- think that's, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm glad you identified that about sugar, eggs, and I forgot what the other thing I Potatoes. Potatoes are a big
0: thing for me. Yeah. yeah.
1: And how it made your brain feel because oh, for yeah. the listeners, like that's an example for the listeners. That's an example of obedience. Mm-hmm. It's not that you may not ever eat it again, but you, at right. least you recognize, oop, that's, that's that. That's what that means. So even to say, for example, you went to someone's house and they served gnocchi. Maybe you didn't know what gnocchi was, right? Which is a potato dumpling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite delicious, but maybe yeah. you didn't know what it was and you ate it and you felt that feeling. You, that'll tell you like, oh wait, there must be potatoes in here because I only feel that way when there's potatoes. And so it's super helpful to know what your body's, the signals it sends it so you can pause and slow down and or stop.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, I have a, a a little story about that. I, you know, I've been doing this for about a year. I know that, that I'm much happier without nightshades or mm-hmm. eggs, mm-hmm. but we went and had uh Cuban food the other night and um, it was so delicious and <laughs> they had flan. So I ordered a flan to go and I had it for breakfast the next morning. It was to die for. It was so good. And then I probably didn't have a clear thought the rest of the day.
1: <laughs> I mean, white just, sugar and eggs. <laughs> white sugar and milk and eggs. Eggs, it yeah. a like triple whammy on my brain,
0: <laughs> and I was like, okay, I I probably will would not make that choice again. But it was so good.
1: There's some vegan plants out there, so yeah. if you love so, flans, and this is that's the other thing. Don't ever think that you have to give up what you love, including mm-hmm. your cultural foods. You know, it's quite possible. There's a substitute for everything under the sun mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've done a lot of substitutions. Um, And Mm -hmm. one more thing before we go, you Mm -hmm. had started to talk about the difference between being plant-based and vegan. Mm -hmm. Follow up on that and tell us what plant-based is.
1: Yes. Thank you. So plant-based is where your meals are based in plants. And so we're talking whole foods, right? So vegan could be like Oreos. That's vegan. There's Mm -hmm. no animal products in it, but it's clearly processed. Plant-based is when you're using plants to make your meals. It also means that for some folks, it might be a percentage model. Some people are 100%. Some people, though, might be 80-20, which is generally the breakdown. 80% plant-based plants, all the plants, and 20% um, whatever animals or animal products that you can eat. So some people might have fish and eggs. Some people might have a little bit of chicken, a little bit of dairy, et cetera. For me, I'm 95-5, 95 plant-based, 5%. I'll have fish, I'll have eggs. It really honestly depends on when I'm traveling. When I'm traveling, sometimes it's just more challenging. So it is hard. I'll, yeah, I just open up. And, and I find that I don't, I don't mind it because I'm a foodie. <laughs> so there are times where I'm like, ooh, I'm in this country. I want to try their version of this. You know, yeah. like I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not stuck on that. Because uh, I also recognize that, you know, when I eat it, my body is still happy. So as long as my body is happy, um, I'm good. And as long as I know that I'm not contributing to the downfall of our environment, because that environmental factors are a real issue, then I'm all right. Yeah.
0: But that's plant-based. That.
1: That's the difference.
0: I love that. And those are such simple guidelines to to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else would you like to share? This has been such a, a great Wide ranging conversation.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, for the listener, if you are someone who has ever struggled with your eating habits and you can, you know, you might feel like you're the only one, I want you to know that you're not a unicorn, that it does happen. And there's a lot of us, a lot of us who are had our struggles and our challenges. And just to remind you that if you start with those two very simple rules. Eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. I know it may seem so simple that it's like, girl, it's not going to work. That's too easy. Cause you've been disobeying your hunger signals forever. But if you start with that, I promise you and guarantee you, it doesn't matter what you decide to eat. Okay. Don't, you don't have to get this perfect. All right. But just start with eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. And you will find, you will find that your body will shift And that you'll make room and space for a new conversation because what you're actually doing now is you're shifting in your brain this ability to understand that your body's going to be sending you signals Mm -hmm. and your obedience is the most important thing. And so by interrupting the pattern of not eating emotionally and only eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full, you're already starting a new eating habit for yourself. And if you find that you're like, girl, that sounds all good, but I still need help. (laughs) Come on over to the Mindful Nutrition School. Over there, we lose weight without the gym because instead of working out, we work in. And at the Mindful Nutrition School, we work together to support you in changing your eating habits, walk you through the detox process, and hold your hand along the way. Of course, with all the delicious food, because I do not believe in eating salads
0: <laughs> as as a foodies. substitute
1: because we're foodies <laughs> like we're here for the food. So yeah. So join me over there at mindfulnutritionschool.com. And if you are on Instagram, you can follow me at Shelly Wellness. And if you are on YouTube, the Mindful Plate. Perfect.
0: Perfect. Well Shelly, thank you so much for coming and sharing all your wisdom and you know helping us really broaden our perspective on what it means to eat healthy and shift our mindsets around eating. And um, I mean, that's just all so important. And hopefully, hopefully it's, it's inspiring to others and and hopefully those who really want that support will come find you.
1: Ah, yes, yes, yes. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Women's Sanctuary. Um, if you like these podcasts, please feel free to like and share. That helps. It's not really about me. It's about you know get guests like Shelley who who have so much valuable work in the world, um, bringing it with their their passion and their knowledge. Um, you know, it's about expanding their work and their reach, and you share it with people who who you think may enjoy it um, so for my guest Shelley Chapman I am Arlia Hoffman and this has been the Women's Sanctuary thanks for joining us